0: Welcome to The Sword in the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I am Jerry Longshore.
1: And I'm Tom Askell.
0: Thanks for listening to The Sword in the Trial today. We are delighted to have you with us and we are delighted to have our dear brother, Vodi Bauckham with us on this podcast. We thank the Lord thank for how you. he has sustained you brother. We have been Praying for you along with Christians all over the place, and it is yeah. so so good to see your face. We're so happy that you're here with us. We're going to give you a little bit more of a formal introduction soon, although Vody doesn't need one. Before we get into that, we've got a lot of announcements. They're coming rapid fire. What yeah. do we have coming up?
1: Man, we've got uh, most uh, urgently right now. We've got our Be It Resolved One Day Conference, June 14th in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the day before Southern Baptist Convention launches on June 15th, and uh, this this conference is going to be very pivotal. It's, it's, it's a, Conference for our moment right now in the Southern Baptist Convention. If you're Southern Baptist, even if you're not, if you're in the Nashville area, can get there. We encourage you to come. But all Southern Baptists, we want to come to this conference because we've got to deal honestly, not just with the problems that have been sprouting up, but we need to get below the the surface level and recognize what is the at the root of all this nonsense that's going on in the SBC. Yes. That's what this conference is about.
0: Monday, July 14th, a one-day founders conference. Be it resolved, a call for resolution and certain times watch this trailer for the conference
1: we have a book it says this what do you think makes the SBC the best denomination in America if you believe the book that's good we're on the same team
0: I'm gonna put it just simply put that we stick to what the scripture has to tell us I'm not seeing the SBC do what some conventions are doing in terms of uh, stepping away from their their, their values and stances on Biblical uh, hot-button topics.
1: If you say, yeah, I believe, but, but because of the position I'm in, you know, I really can't say much, then, you know, go get a different kind of job. How do you feel about a woman being president of SBC?
0: I don't know that I have a comment on that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, what do you think scripture speaks on women preachers or pastors? Would you be willing to talk about that at all? I'd say the Bible does. The Bible does speak upon it. Um, Since I'm honestly representing Lifeway, um, uh, I'd rather let Lifeway answer that question.
2: And we're requesting that resolutions 9 through 13 would be taken as a block. I'll tell you what happened.
1: On the adoption of resolution 9. What happened? We've been played. The resolution is adopted we've been played. I am shocked that we could have a pro-critical theory resolution come out of our resolutions committee this year.
2: And this resolution is very clear in the way that we have approached the discussion of critical race theory and intersectionality.
1: The whole, all of Christianity, let's end Christianity. <laughs> how do we do it? Yeah, how would you do it? Make them woke. That couldn't have happened last year. That couldn't have happened any year, I can remember, since before the resurgence was successful, maybe not even then.
0: If I might predict, we are gonna hold up some icon, a woman, racial minorities, and they'll say, a church that doesn't have room for this person doesn't have room for any of us.
1: A Southern Baptist Convention that doesn't have a place for Beth Moore doesn't have a place for a lot of us. We will take this as an unfriendly amendment for this purpose. Critical race theory and intersectionality are simply analytical tools. They're meant to be used as tools, not as a worldview. It's not not true. And the original resolution that was submitted by a pastor out in California actually said 180 degrees opposite, they took the title of the resolution that was submitted by the messenger from California, and then they gutted it and put their own words in there to turn it into something that was not at all what was submitted. Now, I think that is at best disingenuous. I that most of the folks in our churches have not bought into this. Yeah. You know, I just think most of the folks in our churches still believe the Bible.
0: We would love for you to join us Monday, June 14th for this one day founders conference in Nashville. If you're not able to join us, you will be able to live stream this conference by joining the fam for fam members. We're going to have a live stream uh, on uh, online that you can take advantage of. So go to founders.org to find out more information about that. We have another conference coming up, but it's not until January 20th, January 20th through the 22nd, Militant and Triumphant. Our brother Vody Mm Bacham here will be there preaching God's word. You'll be preaching. I'm preaching. We're going to have Pastor James Coates from From Alberta, Canada. Uh, He is going to be preaching as well. Conrad Mbewe is going to be there preaching God's word. It is going to be a wonderful time. Uh, Doctrine of the church. How do we stand in today's world Um, with militancy and triumphantly trusting uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and being empowered by his spirit? You can go to found. and register for that conference now as well.
1: That's right. That's in Southwest Florida right here. Uh, Beautiful time of year to be in Southwest Florida. And uh, by God's grace, Florida has been blessed with a a lot of freedom because of uh, the way he's led our governing authorities. And so... Plan on being with us January 20th through 22nd here in Southwest Florida for that Militant and Triumphant Doctrine of the Church Conference.
0: And final update is the Institute of Public Theology is now open for applications. Yeah. Classes launch in the fall. There is also going to be a convocation in the fall. And so you can right. go to org to find out more information about that. Yeah, And we have uh, vody Bauckham will be teaching a class coming up in January. That's right.
1: right? That's right. He'll be teaching cultural apologetics, January the 12th through the 18th. And I encourage you to sign up for that. So if you need more information, again, you can go to the Institute of public Theology org and get that there. But Vody welcome, man. It's, it's great to have you here with us. It's great to see you. And I know that others are going to be delighted to see you as well. What an ordeal over the last few months that the Lord has taken you and your family through. And uh, first, first question out of the gate is how are you doing?
2: Uh, You know, First of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. Uh, I haven't been doing much. Really, I haven't been doing anything
1: Yeah. Uh, the last couple of months. Just trying to, uh, so to recover. It was, it, I mean, that's a lot.
2: Well, first first, just trying not to die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and then after that, just you know, trying to get through all this, trying to recover. And uh, you know, I, I'm happy to say I'm doing much better. Uh, the, the road to recovery uh, from this is a long one. Uh, I'm today, actually, five weeks post-op from mm. open-heart surgery, uh, which is a, a pretty brutal thing yeah. um, to experience, to go through. But uh, God's been gracious, and God's been kind, and I'm you know, on the road to recovery and looking forward to being restored uh, to complete health and, and
1: getting back at it. Amen. 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 Well, yeah, we're looking forward to you getting back at it. And it's interesting in God's Providential arrangement of things, you know, how this has happened because you wrote this book, uh, Fault Lines, last <laughs> summer and had all these big plans yeah. about promoting it. And God said, no, I don't think so. We're going to put Bodie uh, on his back and make him lie down. And um, while you have been doing that, the book has exploded and has really gone around the world. Literally, I've heard from people in different nations uh, that are reading the book with great profit and so grateful for your efforts in that book. And, you know, I know it's got to be a challenge for you to think, man, I was scheduled to have like a 30 city speaking tour and lots of promotional things. And, you know, you just had to sit back and watch God do what he's doing differently than anybody could have planned. So, I mean, how's that been? What are you hearing?
2: You know, it's been interesting because we were supposed to leave Jacksonville. Again, all of this stuff was in the works long before we knew what was going on with my heart. Um, and then I had the, the first procedure, February 25th. And my goal after that was I got to be ready uh, to, to go, you know, April 5th to start this tour. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of things that they wanted to do, a couple of things that they wanted to look at um, just to make sure. And they did one of those the day before we were supposed to get out of here. And that's when the wheels fell off. Yeah, and that's when they immediately decided oh we're admitting you uh, we're doing open heart surgery so instead of you know turning around and leave and go do all the tour and everything um, I ended up having, having open heart surgery during the time um, that I was supposed to be out uh, promoting the book uh, but you know in God's providence uh, like you said the book just exploded uh, even without promotion mm-hmm. first of all because of an incredible group of people signed up to be part of uh, the launch team. So a lot happened before the book uh, launched. And then just, you know, because of word of mouth and everything else that has been happening. And so we ended up in debuting it at, at number seven on huh. USA Today, Publishers Weekly, and Wall Street Journal bestsellers list. And it's been incredible. It's been, you know, four weeks on USA Today bestsellers list. Um, and this is, you know, despite the fact that in most bookstores, you won't find a book. Uh, you know, we went to Barnes & Noble here in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, just, you know, to go and take the kids in, find Dad's book, buy a copy. And they had one copy. And the one copy they had, they had to go back to the back. Because it wasn't even on the shelves. Wow. Um, and so this is, yeah, this is the kind of thing that's, that's happening all over the place. And yet, in spite of all of that, the, the book's going on gangbusters.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Voting without, um, giving away all the goodies of the book is called fault lines, the social justice movement and evangelicalism's looming catastrophe. So why did you write this thing?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the big question. Um, you know, I've been dealing with and talking about, uh, many of these issues for a decade and a half and, uh, we've had some of these discussions uh, ourselves over the last several years. Mm. Uh, and it, it seemed like things were ramping up. things were moving more more rapidly. And because of a number of things that were happening um, in the culture, a number of flashpoints, this divide, really what motivated uh, me writing this book. This, I, I really felt like this was something that God had been preparing me to say for over a decade and a half. Something that needed to be said. It's something that I was in a u- unique position to say. And that sort of perfect storm came together. And uh, that, that's what I wrote book.
1: Yeah, and so uh, you had uh, what, like 10, 15 evangelical publishing houses coming to you, begging you to let uh, you publish this book with them, right?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, not exactly. You know, one of the funny things we've talked about this, is a lot of people say, uh, it, it, instead of making, you know, arguments or counter arguments, they say, well, no, Bodie's just doing this to curry favor. He's doing it to curry favor with white people. And I'm sitting here going, that, that's, that's a pretty stupid thing for me to do. Uh, because, you know, evangelical publishers have not, wanted to touch me for a number of years now, uh, really going all the way back to some of the things that I said and wrote, uh, after the, the, the Michael Brown incident, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's when things really started to shake out. That's when you really started to see this divide, uh, between, you know, people who interpreted things one way and people who interpret things another. And so, no, I, I had, I had, uh, my literary agent had, had uh, floated a couple of proposals even before that, and uh, everybody passed. There was one publisher uh, who was willing to take a shot at, at that, um, and then after that, when we decided that because of what was going on, Fault Lines needed to be the first book that came out, uh, that publisher decided that someone else would probably be better suited to, to publish this book, and uh, gave us six weeks to try to find somebody mm. who would publish this book, and, you know, by God's grace, Salem was there and, uh, Salem was, was eager, anxious to post this book, but no, the, the evangelical publishing world has treated me like a pariah for a number of years now.
0: Mm. Yeah. If you were to put it in like a nutshell, just a paragraph, what's your main point? What's your main argument in the book? Just give us a quick summary in your own words.
2: Yeah. My main argument is that we are looking at, uh, another world that, that the reason that people are missing each other, when certain events happen, um, when there's a police shooting or, or, or whatever, is that we're interpreting it, interpreting those things through two different lenses. And I wanted to show people this lens of critical race theory, intersectionality, and how it interprets things. And I also wanted to show people how that interpretation has gained traction at the highest levels of evangelicals and how that's the source of this major divide that we're seeing and how the gospel is our only hope, mm. that we've been called and commanded to take every thought cast. We've been called and commanded, um, you know, to, to refute those who, who contradict sound doctrine. Um, And we've been called and commanded to do that because we love the gospel and we love the
1: brethren. Yeah, and Vody, um, man, your book has just resonated with folks that have had this sense, yeah, there's something wrong, and, and even as they've begun to see that, a lot of the things that happened in 2020 and the violence that just broke out rampantly and the silence so often of evangelical leaders and thinking, why is this? And and some evangelical leaders even seem to try to justify the violence. You know, well, okay, that's just the voice of the unheard and don't ask what they're doing, ask why they're doing it and all. And your book is coming along and saying, no, let me help uh, you to think rightly about these things and bring the gospel to bear. And so it's it's been great. I mean, I've had people talk to me that's like, this book has just been exactly what we've been looking for. It's like a lifesaver because we felt like we were drowning. And we talked to our pastors, looked to evangelical leaders and got zero. And now this book is putting it in a different perspective and helping us to think, reorient, thinking about, no, we do have a gospel. And that's one of the things I love about the book is you bring the gospel in regularly. You show how these ideologies that are at play, uh, what's behind Black Lives Matter, which, again, you know, who, who wants to not say Black Lives Matter. We were forced, and many, many people, you know, just they caved. And so, of course, Black Lives Matter, thinking the words in and of themselves. Of course, you know, Black Lives Matter, just like all lives matter, but the ideology behind that. I mean, you just you expose that so clearly. This is Marxist. Uh, this is radical. This is anti gospel. And in doing so, you hold forth the hope of the gospel. I love the last part of the book, I think it's the last chapter. You say, man, here's the way forward. We've got to mitigate these problems, and we've got to believe in true reconciliation, true justification. And I think you say at some point that the key is forgiveness, which yeah. we've all been forgiven, right?
2: Yeah, and and yeah, really, that was my hope. My hope was that the book would kind of build to that crescendo. And um, one of the things that I see with this whole anti-racist movement is that, it is definitely religious in its overtones. Yeah, but it, it's an anti-gospel. Mm. There is no forgiveness. There is no redemption, and it just amazed me to see Christians latching on to to maybe maybe they weren't even latching on to this ideology, but they were latching on to the terminology of this anti-gospel. And I've said to people, it's a it would be akin to someone in the church starting to talk about, um, you know, Vishnu and Shiva and, 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 and Nirvana and Mm -hmm. reincarnation, but, but all the while saying, no, 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 no. I don't believe Hinduism. Right. (laughs) Um, I, 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 just, I just believe that, you know, the ideas behind the work that they're using, uh, are important. And if that were happening, I think we'd be saying to that person, You know what, you need to choose some different words, and you need to understand what those words mean and where those words come from. And because of what they mean and where they come from, you should not use those words. And so that's that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to do there, and then show how different the concept of anti-racism is from the concept of the gospel and reconciliation in Christ. And really, that, that that word forgiveness is what it comes down to because there is no forgiveness in anti racism. Yeah. Mm.
0: Vodi, what have been like the um, you know the book's been out now? And I've note, noted some people um, challenging various parts of the book or various dimensions of it. What have been the kind of the strongest objections? And uh, and what would you say to those? They say, hey, well, here's here's where I would think Vodi's off here. What are those? And then speak to them.
2: Yeah. I don't even know. Um, you know, one of the things that I've done just for the sake of my own <laughs> recovery during the time, is I've stayed away from all of that. Yeah. Right. Um, I haven't, I haven't gotten into all that. I haven't, I haven't, you know, paid attention to all that. I mean, the books out there, there are going to be people, you know, on various sides of it. Uh, you know, i I've seen some of the, you know, outright dismissals of the book Uh, my my, my favorite is the guy who called it a you know a straw man slippery slope piece of trash after reading (laughs) two pages
1: yeah we're not going to mention Anthony Bradley's (laughs) name though right
2: (laughs) wow yeah
1: I'm I'm sorry I don't know if I sent you that or not but I've tried not to send you too much but when I saw what Anthony Bradley said that was such a joke I mean this is that was such a joke that's ridiculous
2: it was it was because of things like that that I decided you know what maybe right now is not the time for me to even delve into to all of that. Uh, yeah. I'm sure the time will come. Uh, and and again, my hope in the book as well, my hope is that it would be a flashpoint, right? Mm. My hope would, was that it would ignite some things, yeah. and that it would get people to 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 talking about this maybe with some common language. Right and and maybe with some of these issues sort of laid out on the table, mm-hmm. so that there would be a foundation from which um, to 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 debate them. And and uh, that's my hope is that it's a it's a contribution to the debate. I don't think we should shy away from debate. I think we should run to this debate um, because these are these things are these things are essential. And and some of them are dangerous. And okay. um, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not in that yet. Um, eventually I guess I will be, but. Yep. I really enjoy not being part of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, a
1: great yeah. part of being there in Jacksonville. I envy you sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but Dana Lesh called it, you know, one of the most, or the most powerful books she'd read in 10 years, I think. Something like that was just wonderful. And I'm getting those kinds of uh, comments from folks that aren't as high profile as she is. One of the things that you do in this book is you show how the Southern Baptist Convention has been uh, integral, in the debates, especially with resolution nine. And so you take uh, resolution nine in its original form as it was submitted and resolution nine as the resolutions committee from 2019, uh, rehabilitated, dehabilitated, I don't know what the word is,
2: and, uh, and brought it back. We molded
1: out. it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Just chased, it. It. Yeah, chased you it. You give us I, I think, I think the words I think the words
2: I used were gutted and rewrote.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> gutted and That works. Yeah.
2: Think of a resolution <laughs> as Play
0: Doh. You offer, offer Play Doh to the Resolutions Committee and we shape it.
1: So, uh, yeah. I mean, talk about that a little bit of, uh, of what happened in 2019 with this Resolution 9 that came out. And, and I mean, that was far more significant than than people realized at the moment, I think.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, people that I've talked to who've read the book, and I had a number of people read the book before it came out and everything, and a number of people were aware of Resolution Nine, but few people were aware that it was the opposite of the original Resolution. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this this came out in in the, the documentary, the Biola Standard documentary. Um, which I think really hit the nail on the head and, uh, and and showed what happened in a powerful way. Um, But yeah, a lot of people had no idea that that resolution was originally against critical race theory and intersectionality. uh, And that not only unaware of the fact that the resolutions committee changed it, but unaware of the fact that two of the members of the resolutions committee were, professors at Southern Baptist seminaries who have been teaching critical race theory, Mm. intersectionality, and black liberation theology for a while uh, before they changed that resolution. So, you know, that's one of the things, and, you know, we debated whether or not to spend a whole chapter on that, uh, especially because it's very specific to the Southern Baptist dimension, but in the end... um, decided that this was significant enough um, to to warrant that whole chapter being spent on it. And um, I think it it fits well within the flow of the book. And I think it really makes the point in
1: a powerful way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's uh well, we've got this conference coming up. You know, the SBC is coming up. We haven't had one for two years since that resolution. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't, didn't meet uh, last year because of COVID and um, trying to address that. I'm thinking of that, looming conference now only what a month away and your book as a flashpoint and as a as an advance in the conversation even in even in writing a book you know it took you time to write this book and the conversation is kind of going on about this issue it seems to me that the general census now and at least some of the conservative evangelical world is that yeah you know, we don't, we don't want to be fully woke and social justice full, full throttle is bad. And even resolution nine, I sense a lot of people backing away from it. Yeah, it was, it was bad. And so it seems to me your book is really pushing that next conversation. Like, how did we get here and what do we do about it? You know, do you have any, any solutions or any directions if you say, yeah, once you grasp there is a fault line here, um, what do we then do?
2: Yeah, and and really, that's chapters ten and eleven in the book, and I go to Second Corinthians ten, right? Mm. Um, and I believe that Paul just really gives us a framework there, right? The weapons of our warfare they're they're not they're not carnal, but they're they're powerful for destroying strongholds. Um, we destroy arguments and every lofty lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, uh, and I think that's where we start. And then we take every thought captive. I think there are a lot of people who just want to run to the second part of that, right? Um, well, we, we we need to take every thought captive, and and and, and we need to think uh, positively about you know how we um, you know work together and reconcile and so on and so forth. But the first part of that is essential. Um, we we have to destroy yeah. lofty opinions, arguments, and lofty opinions. We can't just ignore race theory conceptionality and just sort of run to, you know, uh, let's love each other. We have to destroy that. We have to expose that. We have to dismantle that, and then move toward the second, you know, part of of that text. And I think that's what a lot of people have been trying not to do. People who've been looking for some sort of third way.
1: Absolutely. That's right, right man.
2: there is no third way here. Um, we, we, we have to address CRT intersectionality, critical theory, so on and so forth. And these things have to be exposed for what they are. And, and then we move on because if we don't, then those things just continue to make headway because they're making headway in the culture yeah. at large and they're definitely making headway in the church. Um, and so we have to deal with that. And I think an, another place, to look at is, you know, Titus 1.9. What does Titus 1.9 say that we have to do? Hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, right? That's one. Have good theology. So that we might exhort in sound doctrine, right? Teach good theology. And then the third one, again, we don't want to do this, refute those who contradict it. Mm -hmm. That's the obligation of an elder, to refute those who contradict sound doctrine. So, uh, you know, I think we've got to do that. People have to know what these things are and where they come from so that they can then understand why this fault line has emerged and
1: then move to the step of learning how to think rightly about these issues. Yeah. You know, that's so well put. And I mean, there are proposals right now in the air, especially in the SBC saying, let's get the anti CRT people on one side and let's get the pro CRT people on the other side. And let's see. If, let's come to consensus. Let's come to consensus. And I, I, I they're good brothers. You know, they're well intended brothers, perhaps even making these proposals. But I look at that and say there is no consensus. Well, so what does light have to do with darkness? How can two walk together unless they're agreed? And I hate it, but I think your your book is exactly rightly titled. These are fault lines, and you're going to be on one side or the other. You try to stand in the middle, you're just going to be ripped apart because there is no middle ground here, if we're going to be faithful to Christ. And that's a that's a hard thing. And, and when people hear us say that and take this stand, they yeah they accuse us of breaking that 11th commandment, as you cited it. And you know you guys are just so mean, and you're so un, unyielding, and you're unwilling to be entreated with wisdom and and it's not that. This, this is a right-wrong, a truth-error uh, issue. And there's, there's no compromise. Yeah. I, the the uh, Resolution 9, you know, the committee chairman, uh, Curtis Woods, when he was arguing against an amendment that I would proposed from the floor for that resolution, he said that critical race theory and intersectionality, we are saying these are simply analytical tools, simply analytical tools. And that's not true. I mean, you've shown in your book, you know, this is a worldview. There are embedded philosophies. This, this has religion uh, woven into it, religious uh, commitments involved in it. And one of the things, talk about that in light of the Dallas Statement, the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. You and I and some others participated in that. And I, I thought you had a very insightful perspective that Resolution 9 uh, may well have been in response to the Dallas Statement and trying to uh, provide cover for those who are already teaching these views uh, in seminaries and colleges.
2: Yeah, well, you know, when the Dallas Statement came out, um, there were a number of people who signed it, but there are also a number of people who were conspicuous in their absence of signing uh, the Dallas Statement. Uh, some of them said they had issues with signing statements, even though they had signed, you know, Nashville and you know, you're right, <laughs> uh, you're other right. things. Uh, but what I began to realize was that there were a number of people who, because of relationships that they had and because of people who were in their camp, who were on the wrong side of these issues, who were essentially espousing critical race theory and intersectionality. Uh, there were a number of people who, who, who because of that, uh, didn't want to sign uh, the statement on social justice. Uh, they they weren't against it. They weren't writing papers against it. They weren't talking about you know here on many ways in which they've aired you know so on and so forth. They were just saying that you know pastorally we think it's 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 it, you know mm. uh, which is kind of a roundabout way of saying you're going to offend people who, you know, are are, are essentially teaching, you know, CRT and intersectionality. And I think that that original resolution was born out of that soil where people who looked at the statement and saw the statement as something that made sense and simultaneously, we're looking around at some of the big names in evangelicalism, even some who said that, you know, who would have said that they were against critical race theory, against intersectionality, so and so forth. But they wouldn't sign the statement. And so I think that original resolution was a way to sort of smoke some of this out mm. um, and, and basically um, give a, an ultimatum, if you will. And I think it's ironic that that, that original resolution uh, was, was gutted and rewritten the way that it was. Um, so that it became a, an ultimatum in the other direction.
0: Yeah, that, that statement really is, I can't get away from that. I know it's an appendix in your, in your book, but it does seem like a tangible way to see the fault line and, you yeah. know, again, all of us signed that document right? I think James White signed that signed that document. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Wilson signed that document. You've got Chris Larson of Ligonier Ministry signed that document and says our board thinks it's a timely or great piece, yeah. something like that, very publicly about it. Um, you don't have a single Southern Baptist seminary president that signed that document. I mean, none, Not many
1: professors, none. only a couple of professors. Very,
0: very small um, number of professors yeah. in Southern Baptist seminaries. And I remember stepping back as I saw that unfold. I said, "Wow, mm. wow, that yeah. is there. There is a way to tangibly see um, this fault line."
2: But if you understand that in a number of our Southern Baptist seminaries there were professors who were teaching this stuff, mm. then you understand why it would be difficult for seminary presidents or fellow professors to sign on to this document. Um, because this, this stuff was there. These guys were there. And, you know, a number of these people are, are Black professors. So here's the Southern Baptist Convention, who, you know, for years has been bending over backwards, not only to apologize for racism and history, but also to say, no, we want to see, um, you know, black people in the convention we want to see black leaders in the convention we want to see black professors at our seminaries we want to see black presidents of our seminaries and of our convention and so you start investing i remember as a young seminarian guys investing in me guys who saw potential i remember and i write about it in the book you know Paige patterson who you know brought me and another brother over to his home he and dorothy you know fed us a meal and talked about how he wanted to see us put in the work so that we could advance in the Southern Baptist Convention, so that it, wouldn't, and it could never be, you know, seen as tokenism because we put in the work, right? And so now all of a sudden you see a number of like professors at Southern Baptist seminaries, and these seminaries are very proud of that. They've worked long and hard to cultivate these guys and to get them into these positions, and all of a sudden these guys, some of them, are teaching CRT they're teaching intersectionality. They're teaching black liberation theology. They're promoting it publicly when they're going and speaking in different places. So what do you do? Do you fire these guys and have everybody come and say, Oh, we knew you really didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. Or do you, I mean, what, what do you do? Cause, cause that's the position that these guys were in. Yeah. Cause we know that the minute you fire up Curtis Woods or Jarvis Williams, you know, or the minute you fire, um, um, you know Walter Strickland. The minute you fire and again, I don't know all the names. But yeah, the minute you fire these people, what is going to be said? It's going to be said that you're racist, that you 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 wanted black bodies but not black voices.
0: Interest convergence. The minute
2: these, yeah, the the minute these guys got too black, you know, you got rid of them. Yada yada yada. Mm. Um, and so, you know, this was a very difficult position for guys to find themselves in, and I think it goes a long way in explaining why at least some of them uh, decided to shy away from the Dallas state.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think it's in your book, isn't it? Uh, maybe we just talked about, I know it's in the book about Tony Dungy's statement. You know, you, you can know when we're not being treated as tokens, not when they hire us, but when they fire us, you know, when they're willing, yeah. willing to fire us. And uh, yeah, you're being treated on the basis of the merits and, you know, your competencies on that point. And it's fascinating to see the exact opposite Happening out of a fear of having those accusations brought against you that, you know, you're not sincere in treating uh, people of different ethnicities all the the same on the basis of their competencies.
2: And, And the great irony in that is that's when you're actually telling me I'm not a brother. That's right. That's when you're telling me that you don't respect. When when this white professor over here can't get away with deviating from the truth. But I can get away with deviating from the truth, and it's because I'm black that you're saying you don't have the same expectation of me, right? And and that's 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 there's that soft bigotry of low expectations, yes, right. right? Exactly. Um, and, and it's so ironic that that this was happening in a number of instances.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I can't get away from the fact that the title of your book, it just shines the light exactly where it needs to be shined on the fact that there are fault lines among evangelicals and you're going to stand on one side or the other. You can't play the middle. You can't not choose sides because these ideologies have permeated our culture. They are coming into our churches and, and evangelical institutions, and either you're going to stand against them or even even if you're not promoting them, you're going to be complicit and allowing them to come. And that's been made crystal clear to me, and I, I just com- compelled. I mean, I look at my grandkids, and I think, you know, I, I don't I don't want to die without having tried to do what I can do to sound the alarm, to stand against this, to refute these pagan ideas that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus, and if they come into our institutions and, and our churches to say to those who are complicit in allowing them to do so. Look, we're not on the same team. We're not practicing the same religion. And I I love you. I wish you would repent. If you refuse to repent, we can't walk together.
0: Mm, That's exactly right. And it's for that reason. You need to go and buy this book, Fault Lines by Vody. Balkum, and we have the joy of giving away a few copies that's right we're gonna give away three
1: let's do three copies
0: three copies uh and to enter in to get one of those copies that we're giving away you got to like share share with what do you need to say with it
1: uh just say um this is a great book and every Christian ought to read it. Best book I or haven't yet read, <laughs> read. <laughs> or something like. That. I, I know it's just good. commend the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. everybody loves this book. I'm going to read it one day if I get a free copy. Say something like that.
0: Tag founders so we know yeah. and we're going to be sending. Listen, uh, you got to, you got
2: to, you got to, you got to pass the bill. What's That's, in right. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
1: That's yeah. yeah. right. And hey, the more you share, the more you retweet, the more you like, the more you pass it around, the more opportunity you'll have to be drawn when we get all those names together. And uh, we're going to give away three of these books. And it's a dynamite book. It's, it's on the bestseller list. We hope it goes all the way to number one, despite the efforts of some to keep it hidden in the back rooms of uh, their bookstores.
0: That's right. That's right. Vody. Vody. Thanks, brother. It's been so great to see you, brother. We are continuing to pray for you as you recover and rejoicing at God's grace and how he's worked over these past months.
1: Yeah. And we look forward to hearing this whole story. I've told lots of people there's an incredible story of God's providence behind all that happened beginning back even in uh, the latter part of 2020 to bring you to where you are today, health-wise, and, and what God's done. So, man, I know you're taking notes, so get ready to tell that story at the right time.
2: Yeah, and also, let me. I just have to say thank you to you, Tom, and the founders for everything you guys did um, on our behalf to to support us and to raise funds for us and to give people updates for us. Mm. I mean, brother, you, you will just never know how much that meant to me and to my family, this side of glory. And um, on behalf of, of, of all the of us, uh, I just wanna publicly just say, uh, we are grateful.
1: Well, love you brother. Love you.
0: Amen. Hey, before Thanks. we go, Vody, we would love to keep you around. And what we have the armory for those who are part of our Founders Alliance membership. Um, we have resources there in the armory, a continual growing set of resources. We want you to stick around if you're up for that. Maybe about five minutes. Let's just press into um, what are the next steps, particularly for evangelical leadership as it mm-hmm. regards this fault line. Is that cool? You stay around for five minutes. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. right. Thanks so much for listening to the sword in the trial today. Until next week, follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart.